Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to Resource Families Thrive, Stanford Sierra Youth and Families podcast. My name is Daniel. I am an outreach coordinator with Pathways to Permanency. And this time around, we are going to introduce you to Foster Care Awareness Month. So May is Foster Care Awareness. We did have a couple of episodes last year talking about this, but it's an annual thing. Let's bring it on back. Before we get started, I do want to ask everyone to like, comment, and share on any of our social media posts, anything having to do with the podcast. The whole goal here is to get the word out, to help people to learn more, to get you ready to become resource families, or just to help spread information into the community. I want people to know that we have needs to support our kids and that anyone is able to get involved. Stanford Sierra Youth and Families is an organization with a combined 150 plus years of experience within the greater Sacramento region, providing a variety of services that all support our mission, transforming lives by nurturing permanent connections and empowering families to solve challenges together so every child can thrive. Our service area at this time encompasses 17 Northern California counties, and I'm sure we're gonna continue to grow. Foster Care Awareness Month is a pretty big one for us. Uh, That and Adoption Month, which is November, are times for us to really key in on celebration, on, of course, awareness, and promoting knowledge of the needs. While I was thinking about what to do to kick us off, I started thinking back to events where I have been. So places that I have sat at a table and... Um, waited for people to approach me so that way they could ask questions about foster care. In the past year, we haven't really had the opportunity to do that. People aren't able to come to us and ask those questions. And I wanted to give you a chance to hear what people oftentimes ask. I was lucky enough to have a few guests join me. These are people that I did ask on. And I want to be very clear in saying that they are not people who are involved in child welfare, that work within the child welfare system that work for our organization. These are members of the public, just like you. And another part of having them come on is I told them, I don't wanna know what your questions are beforehand. So the parameters here, I asked them to join us. I asked them to come prepared with questions that they wanna know about foster care and that I did not wanna know so I could answer them in the moment. What I discovered is that they asked the things that I'm always asked. When I am at a table, at an event, these are the questions that I hear. These are the conversations that I have. So let's check in with Julia, who asked some really great questions about the logistics, some of the basics of getting into foster care, of getting started. Um, hi, my name is Julia. I'm a I'm an assistant teacher. I'm currently teaching with second um, in second grade. I go to school at night to finish my bachelor's in early childhood education, where I'm focusing on teaching ages um, birth to seven years. So that's my expertise in the field of children right now. That's a good range. Mm-hmm. It's a broad range of teaching right there. Very broad Developmental ages. Yeah. um, I've taken classes for everything from infant care to preschool to um, primary school grades right now. So 
Awesome. I'm, I'm doing the whole spectrum. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah. So I guess let's jump right in. What questions do you have about foster care? So my first question is, I've always wanted to do foster care, but um, as someone who's not married, so as a single person, can I do foster care? You certainly can. We have a lot of families who are single parents, okay. um, including those who have never raised kids before. Maybe they have worked with kids of various age ranges, but some of them, it's really that they're they're starting this track. They're getting into doing foster care because they do see the need that communities have mm -hmm. and want to help. Right. So it's it's we have all kinds of families, including those who are single, certainly. Is there I guess an income quota that I would have to meet to become a foster parent like um, is obviously providing like a providing shelter and food and water and the necessities of what children need is mm -hmm. a requirement but um, as far as like do I need to make a certain amount of money every year to be able that where the state says okay you have enough money to be able to provide for this child. That is not something that's written into law. You do have to have your own source of income. So general rule of thumb, general rule of thumb, what I tell people is that they have to be able to sustain themselves without a child in their care. Uh, because okay. you're absolutely right. You do have to provide the basic necessities, but you receive a reimbursement once you have a child in your family. Now, okay. the difficult part of that is we can't predict exactly when that will happen. If people have more open, I guess I'd say parameters, more openness mm -hmm. with which children they're allowed to take in, it'll happen faster, especially if they're willing to take in older kids, like school age and up. So like six mm -hmm. or seven and up, there are a lot of those mm -hmm. kids waiting. Plus uh, if they're willing to take in sibling sets. Okay. So, is going back to the income to your original question there's not a set amount you just have to be able to manage yourself and not act as if this is a source of income i tell people that what you receive back for providing care to a child in your home is a mm -hmm. reimbursement it is not a stipend it is not a paycheck right. it is a reimbursement right. for what you invest right so you invest first and then you obviously get reimbursed Exactly. Yeah. How about housing? Like, do you, do you need to prove like, let's say I, okay, right now I'm renting a room, but I want to become a foster parent. Do I need to then show proof that I have a two bedroom apartment or a two or a certain number of like a, a house of some sort or like what's, um, what are the like rules for that? I guess. So you will have to have the space that you're going to provide foster care in mm -hmm. uh, before we can approve you. Okay. So we've had some families get started in the process, like start application and go to orientation with the understanding that they are going to move. Although I suggest doing all that stuff beforehand because doing both at the same time can be a lot. Right. But um, we do have to be able to see that space that you plan to use. As for how large a place it has to be, we have a lot of people who rent. It's not required that you own a home, anything like that. For how large it has to be, if you want children over the age of two, then you do have mm -hmm. to have a bedroom for them. 
if mm-hmm. it's under the age of two, then they can share a bedroom with you as the adult until they are two. But after that, they must go they to their must. own room. So like, let's say if I were to uh, um, foster more than one child, um, would you have to have a room per child or like can children share rooms or um, would they only be able to share a room if they were siblings or like how, how would that work as well? So kids can certainly share rooms. It's based on their gender identity. Okay. Uh, and actually, let me rephrase that. It depends on if they're related or not, if they're siblings or not. So if the if you were to take in, for instance, two boys and they were not related, then they can share a room. If it's a boy and a girl who are not related, then they do need two separate rooms after the age of eight. So up to that point, they can share. Okay. But once they turn eight, they got to split. Okay. Siblings, meanwhile, can stay together in the same room, even if they are mixed gender, as long as they want to. Okay. They are not required to have their own room. That was a recent legal change. And the reason for that is there are a lot of kids that grew up sharing a room together and it can be a security thing. We are not here to tell families how to family necessarily. There are parameters we have to work within, but some kids you know, brothers or sisters want to share a room because it's what they're used to. Do the parents know where their children are at? And are they allowed to come and see them? Or is that? So there is a court plan that's in place, typically pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. uh, and court orders around how much contact is allowed. And placements are kept confidential. So, um, if you were to tell the parent where you are, then of course they would know. Mm-hmm. What our hope in the system is that you will be able to co-parent with the child's first family. And mm-hmm. so we're not going to put you in a position that's unsafe, but if you and their first family are working together, it helps them and it helps the child. Like how, like typically how long does a child stay in foster care? So I actually just looked this up recently. Average in California at the last kind of foster care census was 17.4 months, so about a year and a half. It's going to depend on a few things. So it will depend on the age of the child's. Mm -hmm. You don't want any child growing up in the system, but uh, smaller children, more people feel more comfortable taking in a younger child. And especially those looking to grow their families, the reason I hear a lot is because you get to have the first experiences, first steps, first words, uh, first time they tied their shoes, not realizing that realistically you will get a lot of first experiences with an older child too. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, being a nanny and like a preschool teacher, I've already witnessed so many firsts for kids that the older ages are more intriguing to me where um, one day if I do do fostering, it would definitely be probably five and up, like uh, an older child, like um, I think, or younger, like I don't think I would have many parameters. I, I, and I, just from what I've heard, I know that like preteens and teenagers don't normally get, I guess, picked or chosen um that often and like that breaks my heart because I remember being that age and I 
I don't know how I would feel if it, if I was just stuck in a system where nobody wanted me, you know? So, um, I definitely have like a, a tender spot for older children as well, just because they're more, they're more cognizant of what's going on in their world. Like they, they need more help. I mean, imagine being a teenager, like going through puberty and being moved around from place to place and like all like I cannot even imagine what these children go through you know mm-hmm. and so I think you still get a lot of firsts you know yeah. like maybe you're their first you go on their first road trip with them it's just a different yeah. kind of first you know first yeah. road trip you first... get to get them ready for their first you know homecoming dance and you yeah. get to you know take them to the movie, let them go on their first date to the movies or like, you know, it's all these other little firsts that you get to do. Yeah. And you don't have to deal with diapers along the way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. How okay. does one get started being a foster parent? So it starts realistically with looking for the agency that's going to be a good fit for you. I of course, work for Stanford Sierra Youth and Families, and I recruit for our organization, but with the understanding that our agency will not be the best for everybody. So what I recommend to people is that you do look up multiple agencies and then attend multiple orientations. Go to one with your local county office, find at least two agencies, check them out. Going to an orientation is no obligation. It's you getting information about their services, their supports, their expectations. Mm-hmm. So, so what you want to look for is a, is an agency or an organization that makes you feel comfortable when you walk in the door. Okay. We believe in something called mutual selection, meaning we have to want you in this building and you have to want to be here. Either right. of us can say no at any time. And that's okay. Okay. See, I I was always under the impression that um, foster care, I didn't realize it was different agencies. I always thought it was like a state program, I guess. So um, I didn't know that there was a, um, that I had a choice in which mm-hmm. agency I went to or worked with. I thought that as a foster parent, you worked with the state. So everything is run through the child welfare programs with the California Department of Social Services, but then it is funneled down to the counties and their child protective services offices or whatever they may be labeled for that county. Um, Some call them children's system of care. Some do say CPS. Mm -hmm. And then from there, the counties will contract out to different agencies for different services. Most agencies will do like general foster care where we will take in any child who has a need within the system. But some of us like Stanford Sierra are also specialized where we do intensive service foster care and an additional program called therapeutic foster care where you are actually doing mental health documentation and receiving an extra uh, reimbursement for doing that. Okay. Well, that's all very good information. Julia, thank you so much for being here, for asking these questions. Along the way, as I have been 
doing this part of the program, people are asking questions that I hear all the time and questions that I want to be asked. So I really do appreciate your curiosity and you sharing what you want to know with everybody. Yeah, of course. Thank you for answering all of my questions. Um, these are things I've been, you know, wanting to learn about for some time now. So I appreciate you taking your time and answering all of them. Yeah, thank you so much. I do want to give a big shout out again to Julia for her great questions and for being willing to come on and ask those. Next up, I had the opportunity to talk to Mary Rose. And the questions that she asked really do have to do with how to get your home together, how to prepare yourself emotionally and mentally for becoming a resource parent. Hi, I'm Mary Rose McCoy. I am um, a mother of two and uh, up in El Dorado County. And I'm just interested in finding out more about foster care. So my first question would be, how do I know what age is right for my family? You know what I mean? Like how, like, wh like what are the lines of thinking? Like, should I get, would I foster children closer to my ch children's age? Because they could, you know what I mean? Like have compatriots or would it be more meaningful, impactful, a better fit to foster like, like a much older child or a much younger child. I, I just always wonder like, what's, what's right for, what would be right for us in our time of life yeah. to best help them? It's, it's a question I do hear a lot. Realistically, people will tell me about their kids and they will ask, so what should I do? And when it comes to social services, you know, there'll never be a simple answer. So give me like two hours for this one. <laughs> um, but it really is assessing your capabilities on a lot of different fronts. So first and foremost, have you worked with other kids before? Or well, I say worked, but what I mean is, you know, what's your experience with children in general? Have you, have you had older nephews and nieces? Um, have you done any teaching or volunteering or do your friends just have older kids and then in addition to that figuring out who can support you if it's if it's a new situation for you who in your network friends family whoever can answer those questions and support you no matter what you will have the agency backing you so we will be there to also guide you through new situations, because even if you were to take in kids that were your children's age, you're still going to come across some new stuff. Um, and also part of the determination does have to be based on the needs of the system. I am always very upfront with people that everybody comes in wanting zero to three year olds. And the fact of matters oh. is there are very few babies that come into foster care that stay either they go to family members or they get into the adoption track very very quickly wow so to kind of summarize that whole very long sure. rambly answer you really do have to look at your own personal capabilities and and honestly just ask yourselves i wish i could have a better answer on that but then also consider your experiences and consider right. who around you can help 
I worry that I don't have like enough space to give them the space they may need. So are you talking emotional space or physical space? Physical space. So when I think about it, I'm like, I guess here's the deal. I over-engineer, when I think about fostering a child, I think I over-engineer in my mind what Mm -hmm. I would want for them. Mm -hmm. Like I want them to, I would want them to come in to perfection, peace, security, all of those things. And so I think I agonize about being, getting, giving them a plus placement. Um, okay. So the question that I am hearing is how do you know that you have the space properly set up for a child in foster care? Yes. So what does that look like? Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic question. And it is also, I, I hear these questions a lot. People get uncomfortable asking them, thinking that they're going to ask something weird. And this is another one that I have heard. And it is another one where people overthink Uh Um, because what my response is, is started off beige. Like if you are prepping your home to, to make an area for a child, start off with neutral colors, neutral colored bedding, um, some, some decorations and some toys and things. So that way, if a child comes in who doesn't have a lot, there is stuff there until you can get a chance to get more for them. Then letting them choose the direction. So saying, I know the bed's kind of plain right now. It's just got that that beige bedspread on it because tomorrow we're going to go to Target and we're going to get you one that you like. Okay. Okay. It's not going to be A plus from the outset because no. that happens with their input. Mm-hmm. That's how it should go is that okay. they should have input. It's nesting. It's right. saying you're, you're meeting the baseline of the requirements to get approved to show I have the physical space available. We have the bed and the room ready. Now we're going to allow this child the emotional space to make this theirs to say, this isn't just a bed I'm sleeping in in foster care. This room or this bunk bed, as the case may be, this part of the closet, this drawer in the dresser, these things are all mine. I can put up posters on the wall for the stuff I like. I can have the books on the shelf that I like. I I got to choose the color of the bedspread. All of that really does help a child to connect in, to kind of show themselves a little bit more. Does your organization coach on like attachment and i don't mean the child's ability to to attach Mm -hmm. to others i mean my ability to over attach yes because because keeping in mind of course that often reunification is the goal or is on the table i don't i worry about my ability to be chill through that process I have to say that's probably the number one fear that I come across in foster care. I, from the children or the providers? From the providers, parents. from yeah. the parents. Um, they are afraid I'm going to love this child and it's going to hurt so much when they have to leave, 
even with that understanding that yes, most of our kids go to reunification. I know one of the previous statistics was like 70%. I can't remember the current, but that's the big push is reunification. Right. So there are a few ways that we kind of coach around that. And in a changing system, there are some things that we might ask for support that sound uncomfortable for families. One of those is building a connection with the birth family working with the birth family, knowing that you are all this child's family, that it's not a competition. That's a game changer. I did not know that. Yeah. It's, it's co-parenting at its finest. It's, you know, this child is living with you, but if you have a bad day with that child, if they struggled with something, you being able to text birth dad and say, Hey, he had a really off day at school today. I know you've got a visit coming up. Maybe you could talk to him about that. Like that's saying to that parent, you're this child's parent. You should know what's going on too. Yes. I Uh, mean, in that sense, oh, that's a very cool and frankly calming thing to know. mm -hmm. And in the end, you know, there is the reality is that when a child gets reunified, there will be times when the parents will say, all right, we are going to break ourselves away from that point in our life. Sure. And that's fair. Sure. This is traumatic for the parents. It's traumatic for the child. And there are also families that I work with who are like, oh yeah, I still babysit my former, my former kids all the time. You know, every weekend. Right. Mom gets girls night and that's what we do. Right. The support was supportive and nobody's here to sacrifice that. Right, right, right. So just because a child leaves your house doesn't mean that they're gone necessarily. Necessarily. I'm cautious in this. I have to say, like, I'm not trying to instill false hope because it does come back to what the parent and the child do wind up wanting. The other side of that is how do you emotionally prepare yourself for that? So we've had this conversation with families numerous times and what I have recommended to them is that they start therapy before it happens. That they seek counseling and help to start to process what will be grief and loss. The fact of matters is, if it makes you hurt big, it's because you loved big. Right. And is it better for that child to have not known that big love that you gave them so that way you wouldn't hurt? Right, right, right. I wonder if that's not a big barrier. It's, it's like the vulnerability, just the 360 vulnerability of the situation. Yeah, it is. It's a huge barrier. It's it's uncomfortable. And this is why those of us who work in foster care will tell you that becoming a resource parent is one of the most selfless things that you will ever do. Because, yeah, you might get something out of it in maybe you'll achieve permanency with the child yourself, guardianship or adoption. Right. Or, you know, you get to see them grow and develop and change and adjust and, you know, get healthier and stronger. And those things do feed our souls. But realistically, the focus is the child. What's going to be best for them? And so this is a selfless act. Well put. Well put. 
Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to answer my questions. Yeah, thank you. You did ask a lot of questions that I've heard before. So I'm glad that we were able to take this space kind of get them out into the open. Yep. It's hard. It's hard in these COVID times to just feel like the echo chamber of my wondering and my doubt and having an opportunity to kind of like let that out. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I don't want to keep you any more today and always let me know if you've got more questions. Okay. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. I really appreciate you for joining us, Mary Rose. Thank you again. And last but not least, we have JD, who asked some really good logistical questions as we get deeper into foster care, how to find support, how to build a good network, and some of the options that you have along the way, the choices that you can make, and in some cases that you should make. Uh, my name is JD Brooks. Um, I am a master's of social work, so I work as a therapist and a case manager, and um, I, um, I've studied child development, and I, I worked as an intern as a school social worker, and I'm really interested in the idea of foster care um, because I, I just find kids fascinating, and I've always really enjoyed the kids in my family and um, all my friends' kids. And it turns out that I just, I like kids. I think they're cool humans and I wanna be, I want one to be a part of my life. Awesome. So I guess we'll just jump right in. What's your first question about foster care? Okay. So my first serious question is, how do you avoid foster parent burnout when they fall in love with a child and reunification happens anyway? The best, I would say the best way to kind of address that concern around burnout, because I've seen it before, is to be really, really proactive. Education, I tell people education is the first line of defense. So educating yourself about what you might experience Mm -hmm. uh, learning more about that process, the, the separation and loss that you will feel and going to therapy yourself, like ahead of time, ahead of the game. We've had families where they did just that. They were like, okay, this child is definitely going to be reunified. It's coming up. We know that um, in a couple of months, the child's going to go back to their family. So I'm going to get therapy now and work through that as best I can before it happens. And they do better. I'm not saying it's perfect. It's not a magic wand fix all, but it helps them to build some resilience. So how do you assure that the support group that will be around this child is the best possible support group? Um, it's definitely been a challenge for sure. There are support groups that our organization hosts. They are, of course, virtual now, which realistically has made them more accessible. So yeah, for month, real. Yeah, in the month of March, I think that there were, I want to say, 27 families that attended our support group. And that was wow. a huge jump from previous numbers. So if there is, you know, if we have to find a bright light in all of this, it's that we... We understand that we can build a supportive network because we don't have to go somewhere else to find it. And yeah. 
So that's that's been huge. Um, you're absolutely right that people are kind of stretched thin emotionally. And so yeah. what really matters for us is ensuring that we are still a presence, that we are still meeting our state requirements and everything, sure. But also that that those families know that we want a good relationship with them, a good, friendly, fun, working relationship with them. Um, they are they're more than just clients to us realistically. You know, we we get to know these people and and yes, grow attached to them. It's important. Uh-huh. And um so I guess that's the big thing is just making sure that we really are checking in, that we really are being consistent, that we're showing yeah. up. It's interesting because these are pandemic times and the way that people raise their children is just so different now than it was like two years ago. Yeah. Um, how can I kind of, is it like a weird thing to want a certain range of ages of child? No, like I would want one that was like over five years old. That's that's pretty typical where people will kind of set parameters. Um, the big concern is when they set them too narrow. The really hard thing is I understand that people do things because they do really want to get something out of it. Now, sometimes that is growing your family through adoption from foster care, which is great because then we don't yeah. have kids linger. The problem is that most people do wind up wanting smaller children and also understand that age, chronological age, isn't everything. Mm-hmm. We do have to look at the child's needs. So, Yeah, I mean, one of my biggest concerns is that I do not have a partner, but I definitely mm-hmm. want to have a kid like soon. And um I'm the breadwinner of the house. Like I have to work. I can't have an infant. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the biggest change in like foster families' lives from like instead of just like having a kid through pregnancy, having a kid through foster care, like does it take as long? Do you have the time to prep? Like how long is the time between I want to be a foster family and here's a child for you to care for? So the time, just like anything else, can vary. Ideally, we want to get families through relatively relatively quickly with some of the changes that we've had in California through resource family approval and continuum of care reform um, Mm -hmm. that has actually simplified the process a little bit. It smoothed out some bumps. Uh, We also do have a really great team that that gets people through step by step um, just to make sure that we are continuing to move. So ideally a few months. Um, Wow. and, And realistically, some families do actually ask, hey, can we go slightly slower? Right. Just so that way they can really be ready. But also the reality is when people do finally make that call, um, I read somewhere a while back that they've oftentimes thought of foster care for like five to seven years before they even pick up the phone to call. And so a lot of people are going to be 
pretty ready to get the process started at that point. So I kind of understand that there's foster care and adoption and mm -hmm. foster to adopt, mm -hmm. but I don't really understand, like, are those totally different systems? No, it's all through child welfare. Unless okay. the adoption is through a private adoption agency, that is something different for sure. With foster care situations, foster to adopt, it's all through child welfare systems, so CPS or whatever your local group calls it. In different counties, like Sacramento does call it CPS. Placer County yeah. right next to us calls it the children's system of care, but it, it amounts to the same thing. With that also you bring up a, a really important point that we kind of look at any foster care placement, any child joining a family as a yeah. potential long-term. So we engage in what's called concurrent planning. We've got multiple mm -hmm. plans going at the same time. So yeah, the family is probably working on their reunification plan to get their kids back, but life happens sometimes and mm -hmm. that can't happen. And the last thing we want to do is take this child from a resource family that they've bonded with yeah. just so they can get adopted into another family. So what we can be prepping for is, yeah, we want this child to reunify, but if they can't, if that doesn't happen, can mm -hmm. they stay with you permanently? I love that. So any placement, any, any of those things have potential of becoming a permanent home or permanent family but not the promise that is what we cannot do is promise that this is what's going to happen yeah i'm also i'm i'm really interested in siblings thank you i really am like i'm actually i'm buying a three-bedroom house just in case we need more families in the world who will take in siblings that that sibling preservation, kids being placed with their brothers and sisters is really critical. Yeah, it's something that I really, I, my sister is my best friend. And if I was separated from her, like, I don't even know how I would turn out. There yeah. would be a big hole in my life. Yeah. Um. What do you do if it's a bad fit and it's not working out for you or the kid? We work with the therapeutic team to see if there is a way to kind of repair any relationships that might need repairing to see if there is a way that we can stabilize a placement um, and, and help that child stay with that family. If that doesn't work, if we've put different services in place, therapy, behavior support, family therapy at times, then what parents can do as a kind of last ditch effort, I would say, or last, a last resort, we uh -huh. really want it to be, is put in a 14-day notice. So, oh, wow. So in that 14 days, we do expect our, our resource families and our, you know, our foster parents or resource families to actually stick with the 14 days. So it's not like you can say, here's my 14 day notice, by the way, take the child now. Right. Um, and so in that time, we are still trying to assess, okay, so do we have any other families in our network within our organization of Stanford Sierra? Um, are there any other supports that we can put into place to maybe 
still get this corrected. Um, and uh, we're communicating with different county partners and, and so on and so forth to try to find a really good fit for this child. Because let's be real, there's a honeymoon period every single time you get a child into your family. And sometimes you do find out that it's not a good fit, just like literally any other relationship that you can have. Yeah. JD, thank you so much for coming today and sharing your questions with me. I hope that you got some really useful information and that this kind of made you feel more prepared to get going with becoming a resource parent. Uh, it really did. Thank you so much for answering my questions. And um, I appreciate who you are. Thank you. I'm always happy to help. So feel free to reach out anytime. Thanks. Julia, Mary, Rose, and JD were great. They brought some great questions. And I'm sure that these are things that you have asked yourself that maybe you've asked other people. Maybe you have explored this possibility with other organizations. It's still good to hear them again. It's still good to hear them out loud. And it's good to hear that other people outside of child welfare do have these questions. What I hope this inspires you to do is to keep on asking, to ask us via social media, to give us a call, our phone number, 916-368-5114. You can visit our website to learn more at ssyaf.org. And I want to encourage you to think about signing up for an orientation. So when you visit our website, you'll be able to submit an inquiry form. And even just attending an orientation can give you so much more info, can help you to learn so much more about the foster care system. We do have a couple of options for virtual orientations right now. So there's the second Monday of each month from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. And that one's going to key in primarily in our Sacramento County families, but we also have an option with our Nevada County families, and that's the third Thursday of every month, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Because these are all virtual via Zoom, an RSVP is required, but we're able to kind of move people back and forth depending on what their availability might be. And one more time, please do remember to like, comment, share, rate the podcast on whatever platform it is that you use. We are on a vast majority of them. If you have suggestions for future topics, if you've got comments, I want to hear them. I want more questions. I love answering them. So do feel free to reach out. Give us a call. Shoot us an email. 916-368-5114. Visit us at ssyaf.org. And until I get to talk to you again, keep thriving.